Welcome to the Life Together podcast. Life Together is a Wednesday gathering for worship, Bible study, and community at Discover Church in Oak Creek, Wisconsin. We hope that this week's message will encourage you and challenge you. Our mission here at Discover Church is to reach our world for Christ as we lead people to discover and become who God has created them to be. Do you remember Kmart? Yeah. Well, I remember Kmart in Ohio, and there was like subs there, and I would, I would split a sub with my dad as a little kid, and it tasted really good with mustard on it. Random core memory, I guess. But then something else about Kmart's is they had those funnel to, uh, coin fundraising buckets, and they were always yellow or always blue, and I don't know what they were raising money for, but I knew it was so much fun to put a coin in the bucket and just watch it swirl and swirl and swirl endlessly until it gets faster and faster and faster, and boom, it's gone. And all of a sudden, I'm looking for a different coin, and my parents are emptying their depleting pockets. I think a lot of times we might feel like our lives are spinning a little bit, like the coin and the funnel collector of just spinning and careening and careening. And at first it's fun, but once you get toward the end, it's like out of control spinning and you just know that you're spiraling down to somewhere. These spirals might be habits that we form that we know are unhealthy or addictive or, or not helpful for us or anyone else. These spirals might be attitudes or, action, um, or reactions to situations that we know aren't godly. And sometimes those sp- spirals are much grander, like something that we didn't even cause. Maybe we were born into someone else's spiral or we were like born into someone else's cycle that we had no power or no say in whether we wanted to join it or not. And we're born into these dysfunctional spirals and were covered by them. And just like the giant coin funnel or water being sucked down a drain, judges retell stories of God's people in these cycles and these spirals that as we get further into the book of Judges, it it starts careening more and more out of control. We started a couple weeks ago with a judge, his name's Othniel, and he's actually one of the most righteous judges we see in the book, and that's at the beginning. By the time you get to the end of the book, these judges, you're reading them, and it's like, ugh, how was that person a leader in Israel? This is a horrible, horrible situation, and it's like the coin got to the bottom of the funnel machine, and it just plopped down the bottom, and there's just destruction at the bottom. We see Israel going through these cycles, these sin spirals themselves, where they are following God, and they're living in the land that God gave them, and then they start to intermarry with the people around them, which is something that God told them not to do, because when they intermarried, they also adopted the gods of that culture, And God is God, and he alone is to be worshipped. But his people began worshipping other idols and other gods. And then they started sacrificing to these other gods. They weren't just tolerant of other gods. They were participating in worship to these other gods. They began doing horrible things that we, we couldn't even imagine. They were sacrificing their children and burnt offerings to these gods. Horrible forms of worship, and they had spiraled out of control. So they get to this place. 
and then they become oppressed by these gods. And then we, they become oppressed by the people of those gods. And these people start to enslave them and terrorize them and take resources and steal their children and their, and their wives. And it just gets worse and worse and worse. And the people cry out and they say, God, save us. And God raises up a judge like Othniel. And Othniel saves the people and the other judges save the people. And things are all good. And then the people start to circle around again. They begin to participate in idol worship again, and they begin to be oppressed by the people, and then the people begin to terrorize them, and the people of Israel cry out to God, and God raises up a judge who saves them, and things are good for a while, and you know what happens next? They fall back into idol worship. You see it over and over again in Judges. God's people keep spiraling away from God's promises and blessings that come with obedience and and adherence to God's ways. And at the beginning of each cyclical story in Judges, we encounter an imperfect hero who God raises up to rescue his people um, and to set them back on course to be with God. We're going to visit one of those other imperfect heroes today by the name of Jephthah. And Jephthah is stuck in some horrible cycles that are actually outside of his control. And then he begins purposefully spinning with the cycles that are in his control. And it blinds him to the truth of who God is. And he makes a horrible, horrible decision. And before we get into Jephthah, let's pause here and pray. Father, thank you so much that you are steadfast. Your word says that your love is steadfast. There's no up and down to your love. Your love is steadfast and faithful. And so are your ways. God, you are holy and you are just. And we want to know you more. Father, I pray that you would align our hearts with you tonight. I pray for a humbleness in our own lives, in our own hearts, that we would hear from your Holy Spirit, that we would join you today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let's start off in Judges chapter 10, a little bit before we meet Jephthah. The Bible says, again, cycle, the Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight. So they just came out of the judge of Gideon, if you remember last week. So again, the Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight. They served the images of Baal and Ashtoreth and the gods of Aram, Sidon, Moab, Ammon, and Philistia. They abandoned the Lord and no longer served him at all. So the Lord burned with anger against Israel, and he turned them over to the Philistines and the Ammonites, who began to oppress them that year. Israel had a cyclical problem. They were spiraling in cycles. Only their spiraling wasn't leading to a pit of coin donations. Their spiraling was leading to a pit of depression and despair and oppression, lack of peace, lack of resources, lack of stability. And the more they tried to blend in with the cultures around them and join what was going on in the cultures around them, the more they walked away from how God had taught them to live. The more that they followed other cultures, the more they walked away and compromised their belief in God and following who he was and who he is. So until the spiral ended and they were enslaved, not only to their desires, but they found themselves enslaved to the lusts of the land and the power of the land. And they found themselves 
powerless. Israel's pattern problem is that Israel would forget God. They would stop completely following him. They would forget that they shouldn't adopt the other practices of of those outside of those who worshiped God. They would forget that God had called them not to intermarry and not to adopt idols into their own home. They would worship the other gods of power and sex and wealth and war, and they they traded the eternal for the tangible. They traded the eternal for the tangible. And I know we're talking about the Israelites, but I think about that, and I wonder how often we find ourselves compromising our worship and our adherence to God, trading the eternal for the temporary tangible for what we see in front of us in ways that we strive for power, in ways that we strive for influence, in ways that we strive for pleasure. How do we compromise our walk with God, to follow what people around us say is good and is okay. The people of Israel were miserable. They were having, they were being oppressed by the nations again. And we go on in verse 10, the Bible says, finally they cried out to the Lord for help, again saying, we have sinned against you because we've abandoned you as our God and have served the images of Baal. The Lord replied, did I not rescue you from the Egyptians, the Amorites, the Ammonites, the Philistines, the Sidonians, the Amalekites, and the Moanites? When they oppressed you, you cried out to me for help and I rescued you. Yet you have abandoned me and served other gods. So I will not rescue you anymore. Oh, that must have been heavy. I will not rescue you anymore. Go and cry out to the gods you have chosen. Let them rescue you in your hour of distress. But the Israelites pleaded with the Lord and said, we have sinned. Punish us as you see fit. Only rescue us today from our enemies. Then the Israelites put aside their foreign gods and served the Lord and he was grieved by their misery. My children, like every other person in the history of mankind, can have habitual patterns, like the pattern of leaving dirty clothes all over the floor. I mean, I have a laundry chute. It's this magical little hole in the wall that you put laundry in, and it disappears. Like, it's just gone until I go downstairs and I find out there's a mountain in my basement. But my kids have this problem where they leave dirty laundry all over their floor. It doesn't matter how many times I say, pick up your dirty laundry. Oh, yeah. Sorry, mom. And then I'll come back. It's still there. Guys, I told you, pick up your laundry. I'm sorry, mom. And then they do it. But you know what happens the next day? Well, dirty laundry on the floor. And, you know, as much as they say sorry to me, I can forgive them. But after a while, I stop believing they're sorry. Sorry is just empty words without repentant actions. A lot of times I think we can knee-jerk react to God and we can say, sorry, God, sorry, God. And some of it, sometimes we mean it with all of our heart, but then we forget later because we don't repent from the things that cause God sorrow. We need to repent from actions that do not please the Lord. You see, the people believed that they could just say sorry and cry out to God, and God would be manipulated to supply for them. But here we find that God isn't moved by flowery words. God is moved by a contrite heart. When we speak out of our mouth, our mouth can sound really nice, but our actions have to follow up with the words of our mouth. God sees what's in our heart. 
He's moved by a contrite spirit, a broken spirit. The Bible says that a contrite and broken heart, God will not deny. When God sees your heart and you're honestly saying, Lord, I'm sorry, help me, forgive me, a sinner. God is moved by that. And he gives you the power and the strength that you need to repent and come back to them, to him. We cannot experience God's rescue without accepting God's rule in our lives. Tim Keller writes this in a book that he wrote about judges, and I love that. We cannot experience God's rescue without accepting God's rule in our lives. Because we have to get our lives in order. If we want our life to be in a place that is the best life we could ever live, we have to live under the rule of God. If you want to experience God's rescue in your life from oppressive sin or results of sin, you need to offer your contrite and repentant heart to God. God will not be manipulated by us to get what we want. We can't just say, God, if you just do this for me, then I will stop doing X, Y, and Z. Lord, if you just, if you just do this for me, then I'll start doing X, Y, or Z. God, if you just gave me this better job, then I would be more generous with the people around us. God, if, if you just gave me more income, then I would start paying my tithe and offering to you. We may at times find ourselves using God for his blessings rather than living for God out of honor and relationship and worship because he is worthy. God doesn't owe us anything, and yet he gave us everything. And a lot of times we can come to God's throne with entitlement in our heart and not accept the rule of God, but we just want the blessings of God. God knows that your life will function better with him in charge. That, that might seem kind of harsh, and it might seem like overpowering and domineering, but, but God's not a control freak. The fact is, is that he loves you, and he knows you. He formed you. In fact, the Bible says that while God was placing the foundations of the world that God had good work in store for you to do. God had good work for you to do. And the Bible says that while you were still in your mother's womb, God knew you, that God knows your name. He takes time to care about how many hairs are on your head or that has fallen off your head. That is not a God who is trying to have control over everything because he just needs control. God is a God who loves you and he knows that his plan for you is the best plan for you to live your best life. And when you come in under the rule of God and you come in relationship with God and you say, God, your way, not my way. I feel a kind of way, but it's your way and not my feelings. You know, I've experienced this, but God, it's your experience and not mine. You know, my story is this, but Lord, it's your story and not my story. Our lives are about God. And when we're under his rule, we break those oppressive cycles through our repentance and our coming back to God over and over again. Once Israel repents, we see our next imperfect hero enter the story, and his name is Jephthah. And I dare you to say that 10 times fast, Jephthah. <laughs> Jephthah had a familial cycle that was dysfunctional, and I'm not going to read through his story. It's in chapter 11, but I'm going to sum it up. And I challenge you to go and read it sometime tonight or maybe tomorrow sometime. He has a really dysfunctional story. So he was born to a man named Gilead. 
and that was his father, but his mother was a prostitute, which seems disreputable in our own society, but like thousands of years ago when he was born, it was unheard of that he would have any right to anything. And so he's an illegitimate child. And then his brothers from from his father's wife, they all grow up and they approach the elders of the town and they say, you know, Jephthah, he's not really a part of our family and we don't want him to have any take on the inheritance. In fact, we don't even want him in the same town as us. So the elders got together and they kicked Jephthah out of town, out of home, out of family, and he has found himself in a place by himself in Tob. And he's there by himself, doesn't have rights, doesn't have access to his family. And he accrues this band of miscreants, outlaws. You know, like think about Robin Hood and his merry men. That's, that's Jephthah. Only it wasn't the merry men. They were actually like not great guys. It's like Jephthah became the pirate king of the society. And they, they weren't stealing to give to charity. They were just stealing and robbing from people. Jephthah was not a great guy, but he came from a dysfunctional cycle that he was born into that was out of his control. So he's experiencing this. And then in the meantime, the Ammonites are starting to cross over Israel's borders. They're starting to oppress Israel and be violent to Israel. And the elders of the town that Jephthah was from start to talk and they're like, we need a strong and resilient leader. Who do we know who's powerful enough and not scared enough to take on the Ammonites and who might be desperate enough to, like, be our ruler? Well, that's Jephthah. So these same guys who kicked Jephthah out of town now come crawling back to Jephthah and say, will you please lead us? We're desperate. We need help. We need to be free. So Jephthah's sworn in. Jephthah reaches out to the Ammonite king to make pre-war negotiations by recalling historical rights that Israel had to the land that the Ammonites were actually invading. So in chapter 11, verse 12, the Bible says, Then Jephthah sent messengers to the king of Ammon, asking, Why have you come out to fight against my land? The king of Ammon answered, Jephthah's messengers, when the Israelites came out of Egypt, they stole my land from the Arnon River to the Jabbok River and all the way to the Jordan. Now then, give back the land peaceably. Jephthah knew his history. That was helpful. Jephthah sent his message back to the Ammonite king. This is what Jephthah says. Israel did not steal any land from Moab or Ammon. And then he gives the historical accounts of why the land that Ammon is fighting for actually does belong to Israel. And Jephthah goes on to explain in verse 23, it was the Lord, the God of Israel, who took away the land from the Amorites and gave it to Israel. Why then should we give it back to you? You keep whatever your God, Kamash, gives you, and we will keep whatever the Lord our God gives us. You keep what your God gives you, and we'll keep what our God gives us. You know, it sounds powerful, but Jephthah is stuck in a cycle of misunderstanding who God is. Kamosh, Yahweh. The way that Jephthah communicates that, both gods are equal, and that is not the case. Jephthah misunderstands God. The interesting fact about ancient groups of people is that every city was like its own country. 
And every leader believed that there was a ruling God over that land and over that territory. And once they found out who that God was, they would create an idol and they would worship it by child sacrifice, by other forms of worship, just to appease the God or to get the God to give them power or to get the God to give them control. It was a very manipulative relationship, which is ironic because they're actually the ones who created the idol in the first place. And so we see the cycle of self-enslavement, that these people are enslaved to their own sin of idolatry. And there's times in our lives that we can become sin, um, enslaved to the sin of our idolatry, of the things that we esteem like Kamosh and Yahweh. Maybe we pedestal some of our gods up to the same status of who God actually is. And Jephthah did that. Here we see the heart of our imperfect hero, Jephthah. He puts God Almighty on the same platform as all the other gods in the region. Here we see that Jephthah is still stuck in a sin cycle that keeps him from knowing that God is really God and he really has no equal. This might be similar to the attitudes that we adopt today. Like, you believe what you believe and I'll believe what I believe and we'll all get along together and things will turn out okay. And now let me get something straight. We cannot force people to believe a certain thing. That is a gift of faith from God that we even know that God exists and how we can know him through Jesus Christ. That is a gift of God and faith. But God wants you to be so convinced that he is truly who he says he is, that it shapes your behavior, that it shapes your attitudes, that it shapes the way that you live your life on a daily basis, that you are constantly coming under the rule of the God who loves you. Needless to say, the Ammonite king ignores Jephthah, and then our, ju- our judge leads Israel into war. And Israel starts winning. So Jephthah thinks he got the approval from God because he's doing it right. Because Jephthah is still stuck in a sin cycle in his understanding of who God is, we see Jephthah now make the most horrible vow that we've ever seen yet in Judges. He says in verse 29, at that time the spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah and he went throughout the land of Gilead and Manasseh, including Mizpah and Gilead. And from there he led an army against the Ammonites. And Jephthah made a vow to the Lord. He said, if you give me victory over the Ammonites, if you, then I will give the Lord whatever comes out of my house to meet me when I return in triumph. I will sacrifice it as a burnt offering. Now, a lot of times in, that, in this day and age, people would keep their animals in their house. They, they built their house as a refuge for all of their people and all of their animals and livestock. So it wouldn't be uncommon for him to get home and a goat walk out the front door, right? But he says, I will give to the Lord whatever comes out of my house to meet me when I return in triumph. I will sacrifice it as a burnt offering. So Jephthah led his army against the Ammonites, and the Lord gave him victory And when Jephthah returned home to Mizpah, his daughter came out to meet him, playing on a tambourine and dancing for joy. She was his one and only child. And we see the rest of the story, how much Jephthah is grieved, because he does not know the God he worshiped. He is fully convinced that he has to follow through on the vow of giving his daughter as a sacrifice. 
Remember that Jephthah, like Israel, had adopted the pagan worship culture and his belief system. He was winning these wars, and so to appease the God, he had to continue giving the God what he told him he would give. He believed that God could be manipulated into getting what he wanted, and he also believed that God wanted to be worshipped in the same manner that the pagan nations worshipped their idols. Equal ground, Kamash, Yahweh. Jephthah was caught in a cycle that led him from actually knowing the God of Israel. God actually tells his people in Leviticus, because this practice was so common, he says, a burnt offering of a person is detestable to me. Also in Leviticus, if if Jephthah had known God, he would have known that God gives allowance for breaking vows and even tells the Israelites how to break a vow if you say one rashly or say one that you can't follow through on and that God would redeem it and show mercy and favor. But Jephthah didn't actually know God. Jephthah was convinced that his burnt offering of child sacrifice would please the God who gave Israel victory over their enemies as if he deserved God's favor instead of God just showing his mercy on his people. There's a similar story in Genesis with a guy named Abraham. And Abraham came from these pagan nations and he was used to God worship. He was used to child sacrifice. And so when the God that he met and loved and that he had like diligently followed, when that God told him, I want you to take your one and only son, Isaac, and I want you to sacrifice him to me. Abraham was willing to comply because that was normal. That was the way to worship God. So Abraham led his son Isaac to the, to the mountain, raised his dagger above his head, and at the last main minute, the angel of the Lord said, Abraham, stop! And then God provided the sacrifice needed for God. Isaac's life was spared, and the sacrifice of the lamb was placed on the altar. And in the same way, God wanted Jephthah to know that God is God. Well, Abraham learned that God is different than any other pagan God that he had ever met in his life. Because no child can be innocent enough to appease our sin. No child can bear that weight, and God knew that, and he knew that it was only his gift of grace that we could approach his throne with God's very own sacrifice. A couple thousand years after Jephthah, God sends his one and only perfect, spotless lamb of a son, Jesus Christ, and Jesus willingly walks to the altar, carrying it with him, is pinned to the cross, bleeds and dies for our sake, on behalf of our sin. He is the one perfect, spotless, sinless sacrifice that make us right with God. And God knew that only Jesus could pay that price. Jesus came as the ultimate perfect sacrifice to break your spiraling cycle. That Jesus came to break your cycles of sin. That Jesus came to break your cycles of dysfunction. Whether you cause them or someone outside of yourself caused them to you. Jesus is your redeemer. Jesus is your savior. He is the sacrifice that God himself gave so you could know who God is. Which brings us to our mission statement for our series. Behind every rebellion is the opportunity for reconciliation. Behind every failure is the opportunity for for forgiveness. And behind every imperfect hero is a perfect God. Despite God's people rebelling against him, God seeks over and over again to reconcile people to himself. 
And God continues to seek your heart, to reconcile your heart to himself because he loves you. And he's designed you to be in relationship with him. And that's only possible through the gift and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. All we have to do is believe and submit our lives to his rule to accept his rescue. In this story today, we can see three truths of cycles that we learn from Jephthah and Israel. And number one is we all have spiraling cycles in our life. We're humans. This was like thousands of years ago that this happened. Different culture, different time, different part of the world. Everything is different about this story than your story, except for the fact that we can still be stuck in sinful cycles. We can still be stuck in sinful attitudes, in sinful behaviors, in sinful mindsets. We can still be self-centered and self-focused and self-inflating and and self-pleasuring that our lives become about us instead about living for the rule and and the reign of God. But God is sovereign and compassionate, and he wants to heal us from spiraling influences that are at work in our life. We're, we can also have those spiraling influences that are caused by family dysfunction and things that we feel stuck in. God, God is not, not um, weak to those things. There's things that we hold in our lives and in our hearts, and we're just like, God, I don't, I don't know what to do to fix this. And God loves you. And when we submit things to the Lord and we say, God, have mercy, you stand back and you, you give your life in obedience. You set your life under his rule and then watch him work. It might not turn out the way that you want it to or the way that you expect it to, but God is faithful and God is good and God has good plans for you. The second thing that we learn is that repentance interrupts and redirects cycles God doesn't want us to live in shame and just feel bad all the time about sin that we have in our lives. He he doesn't want us just to flippantly say, oh, we're sorry, or that doesn't matter, or that's just something really small. We'll just leave the dirty laundry all over the floor, you know. God desires for us to be right with him, and God wants it so badly that he gave the most that he had for us to know him. And I don't think I understand that fully. I don't think I understand how much I needed Jesus. I understand it enough to know, Lord, I love you and I come to you through Christ. But God knew that we needed Jesus. And we, all, we don't always feel that need, but it doesn't change the truth of it. The third truth that we find is that God is not confined to our cycles. The whole time we see Israel careening out of control and going through these spirals throughout Judges, God doesn't change. He's just steadfast. He's just straight. He is unchanged, and he is not boxed in or manipulated by people's scheming, by people's straying. God is the same today, yesterday, and forever. And the best thing about God is he wants us to know who he is he, does, he doesn't want us to assume that we know who he is because we define him. God defines himself. He sets his own parameters for the box that he puts himself in so we can know him to a small degree, just enough to know him. Because what we know about him now is just in part. When we get to heaven, we get to see 
all of him. We can truly know God instead of assume we know God through his designated modes of communication. We can know God through Jesus by coming to him through Christ, who is our sacrifice for our sin. We can know God through the Holy Spirit. When we put our faith in Christ, God puts his spirit in our heart to say, that's not right, or go walk in that direction. And when we listen to the Holy Spirit and we submit to God's rule for our life, we are going to live our best life possible. It won't always feel good, but it will always turn out the way that God desires in a life pleasing to him. God also talks to us about who he is through the written word of God. We can read the Bible. I, I invite you, pick up your Bible on a daily basis. You learn so much about God. God speaks to you so much through his word. Don't just come on Sundays or Wednesdays or read your Bible, you know, once a week. Try to do it every single day. Learn about God every single day. And then we also learn about God through the people of God. That's the church. And you're here tonight and you're in community and you're learning about God. And that means you want to grow in your knowledge of God. Jephthah was indeed an imperfect hero, but despite his spiraling patterns and confusion about God's sovereignty, God remained the perfect God. And he continued writing the story of Jesus through Israel, through this mess of judges. What happens after judges is the kings come and we got King David. And King David would have been like the great grandpa times 20 of Jesus Christ. If it weren't for the mess the judges went through, we wouldn't have the kings we wouldn't have King David. And I don't know where it would be in the redemption story. God is at work writing a redemption story for our lives and for the world. As we go through this today, I want you to take a pause tonight and just consider some of the cycles in your own life. And maybe it's a personal cycle. Maybe it's something that you, you can look at and you'll be like, I started that in my life, and I got in this habit, and now it's really hard to break out of. Or maybe it's an attitude of just like, well, I just feel like this all the time, so this is just how I'm going to feel. It's just my hormones. Well, friends, God doesn't want us stuck in those attitudes either. That's a cycle that God wants to redeem you from and break you from. And then some of us might be considering cycles of dysfunction that are outside of our control, family, friends, workspaces, toxic environments that we find ourselves in. In all of those cycles, God wants to bring redemption and grace. The Lord put on my heart this morning a, a poem for today, and I think sometimes we can talk about stuff till we're blue in the face, but sometimes we just need to talk our souls into the atmosphere. And as you consider prayerfully what cycle God is putting on your heart tonight, what is a cycle that God wants to break in your life and bring life and freedom from? I want you to listen to this poem and just ask the Lord, Lord, where do you want to restore my life? We flow in cycles and spirals, enclosing concentric circles, ebbing and flowing, coming and going, reaping and sowing, hustling and slowing, blinded to patterns growing that keep us from fully living he awakens us to cycles and spirals, those enclosing concentric circles that are spinning and careening, causing joy, causing weeping. He steps into the middle with a shepherd-like leading, bringing to places of pausing, refining, and securing, takes our souls swirling to quiet pastures for resting. We unwind and breathe everlasting, restored. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your grace. Thank you that your blood.
blood is powerful to save us. Lord, I pray for freedom in this room tonight. God, sometimes we get, just get stuck in these cycles so much that we crawl out in despair, but we just don't feel like you hear us anymore. God, I pray that you would encourage our hearts tonight, that you are the God who hears and you're the God who responds to a broken and contrite spirit. And Lord, you would not deny us because you love us. Lord, I pray that we would submit our lives to the rule and reign of your sovereignty over us, God, that you would be in charge of our lives because, Lord, your word is very clear. You said that we are either a slave to sin or a slave to God. We want to submit our lives to you, that we would not be enslaved by destruction of sin, by patterns of sin, by brokenness of sin, the outcome of sin. We want to live in your abundant life, fully living in the freedom of Christ. Lord, I pray that temptation would be broken in this room. I pray that addiction would be broken in this room. Lord, I pray for unforgiveness to be broken in this room. Lord, I pray for freedom to be in your people here tonight. I pray that you would bind up the wounds, Lord. That you would bind up the wounds of our hearts. Bind up the wounds, Lord. We love you, God. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for your peace. Lord, I just, I feel, I feel those spirals just slowing down, even now. And Father, I pray that that stillness in our heart would go with us from this room as we pick up our kids or we go to our cars. Lord, as we go to work tomorrow, help us to feel that pause in our heart, that you call us to quiet pastures where you can restore our souls. We love you, and I'm so thankful that that's the God we serve. We love you, Lord, so much. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you so much for being with us for the Life Together podcast. It's even better when we see you in person. Join us Wednesday mornings at 10 a.m. or Wednesday evenings at 7 p.m. right here at Discover Church. Find us online at discoverchurch.org.